This is an ABC podcast. Countrywide on ABC Radio. Support businesses are going to go to the wall just like dairy farmers will. We've seen the whole agricultural community come out. Once people leave communities, they don't. They generally don't return. Countrywide. Don't worry about me. Go and speak to your farmers. We're already losing businesses. Get out there and speak to your farmers with your gumboots on. Countrywide. The politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. G'day. Welcome back to Countrywide. I'm your host, Kit Mocken. Nice to be with you for our first show of the year. Hope you had a great break over Christmas and New Year's. There's a good chance if you're listening to this that you live in the city. You might have even thought about moving to the country before, maybe during COVID. But what about becoming a shearer? Just a tick, you're going to meet some young people who have done just that. Also, industrial action at Australia's ports. It's got some huge players sparring in the news, like Sally McManus versus Dubai's royal family. You'll get an update on all the Australian produce stuck in the middle of it. But first, it has been hot, particularly if you've suffered through one of those heat waves that has hit the East Coast. We all know how humans like to keep cool. Everyone has their own little tricks. I like cold showers. But what about animals? Let's head to Queensland first, where keeping pasture-raised hens healthy in the paddock can be a challenge when it's hot, because chooks can't sweat. In 2022, Kenilworth Free Range Farm battled a record flood. Last year, the farm had its driest winter on record. And owner, Gordon McWilliams, suspects that the current humidity and temperatures peaking at 38 degrees will set another record. Currently, egg production is down 65%. Jennifer Nichols went to visit as the Sunshine Coast farmer wrangled a snake out of the mobile chicken shed. Gordon McWilliam, the chickens aren't the only thing looking for a bit of shade. (laughs) Yeah, we get the odd snake. Those pythons, we don't mind the pythons. They'll clear up a rat or a mouse or two. They don't seem to bother the chickens too much. (laughs) <laughs> He's going out next to a chicken. Oh dear. Try and get him out without breaking the eggs. The python was quickly caught and relocated. There he goes. You know I've got the windows of my car open. Oh, <laughs> you'd probably like a bit of air conditioning. Be nice to him. Allowing Gordon McWilliam to get back to what he was here for, cooling down the chickens on a stinking hot day. Carrying water on a tractor, he started hosing down their mobile chicken shed where they seek shade from the sun, roost and lay their eggs. What sort of challenges does this heat cause for chickens? The heat reduces production enormously. So we try to stay around about 80-85% production levels with eggs. And at the moment we're sitting at around about 65%. And that's peak season over Christmas with all the holidaymakers up on the coast. So it's a little bit of a disaster, but we just carry on. The big thing is they won't go out to eat in the heat of the day and they don't drink enough water because the water warms up and they don't like warm water to drink. So middle of the day we come out, we add cold water to all their water sources, try and encourage them a little bit, but it's still too hot. Tell me how hot it's been getting and um, what temperature chicken's like. Yeah, chicken's... Best, they peak at around about 26 degrees. So we've had between 30 and 38 degrees for, well, since November. 
and that's not so bad. It's just that the humidity's been 80 and 90 percent the whole time. So we've had three, really three months of warm weather and high humidity. It knocks us around, but it knocks the birds around too. How does that differ to an average year? Last year was a pretty good year. It didn't get too hot. It was a lot drier. So we didn't have the humidity we normally get. And we probably had a lot more southeasterly breezes coming through. This year it all seems to be northwesterlies, northeasterlies, just bringing hot air down. Well, we all know that since November we've pretty much the whole of Queensland's had good rain. Good rain normally is great, but not when you get the humidity because of the heat as well. And how many chickens have you got on the property here at Kenilworth Free Range Farm? Uh, We keep 3,000. I saw you spraying down the chickens. Do they enjoy that? Yeah, you'll find some of them run away. A few of them stand there and just love it. But I guess the main thing is it it cools down the area around their vans, which is where they're getting the majority of their shade. So we've got a couple of trampolines to help shade them, but even they seem to get a bit too hot. The vans are really quite good, and when there's a breeze, you can really feel it. It's, It's a lot better than being outside. And you see the chickens when they feel this heat they're really panting aren't they yeah you can see they'll open their wings up to get airflow under their wings and they open their beaks up and they're yeah they're panting similar to a dog i guess can chickens sweat no no they don't sweat so and they normally run a reasonably warm body temperature too yeah anything they can do to to remove the heat and how long have you been farming free-range or pasture-raised eggs now? Uh, we've had the farm 20 years and we've been doing eggs for just um, the eight years this August, I guess, something like that. And is there a lot of demand? Yeah, the demand's great. But the eggs are so good. It's more about animal welfare for me, but it's the kindest way to farm chickens. They're out, not really as they would be in nature, but as close to nature as we can make it commercially. Um... So I think it's the kindest way to make eggs and because of that, the eggs taste the best. They're eating bugs and grubs and grass and other weeds and bits and pieces. I can understand why people don't farm chickens this way because it is a lot of work. But it's satisfying. Um, The product, when you deliver it to customers, they love it because they taste like eggs used to taste. You know, back when your grandmother had chickens in the backyard, they taste great. But yeah, it's a lot of work. It's, you know, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And, well, you just keep doing it. You've got to enjoy it. Kenilworth, free-range farm owner Gordon McWilliams speaking to Jennifer Nichols there. A bit further up towards Toowoomba and in the 20 years that David Vonhoff has been milking cows at his property on the Darling Downs, he's never seen his girls so heat-stressed. Mr Vonhoff, who milks a herd of 200 at Brymaroo near Oki, says this week's high temperatures and humidity caused a noticeable drop in milk production. He's concerned extreme weather events will make it harder for future generations to farm. Yeah, the Illawarra's are probably fairly heat tolerant, but um, they haven't been last Sunday, Monday. The cows were, well, Monday they were tonguing about 9 o'clock, panting and looking for shade. I've never seen the extent of the cows being heat stressed as what I did that day. Occasionally you might see cows tonguing maybe, you know, in the afternoon milking time, you know, one one or two cows, but uh, yeah, it was... Pretty well most of the herd on Monday. Just extreme humidity and heat, which caused the issue. Is there a place for them to get under some shade? 
we've planted 20,000 trees on the farm and um, most of these trees are up fairly high now and it doesn't matter where the cows are on the farm, they've got access to shade, which is a big help. We did lose production um, with this heat, but um, it would have been far worse if the cows didn't have access to shade. And what kind of production losses are we talking? Oh, four milkings, and the milk gets picked up every second day, so it's about 7,000 litres. So there was about a 500 litre drop in, in the production for that T-date period. And are you concerned that this may continue as the planet continues to warm? Very much so. Um, I heard an interview this morning about the average temperatures. They're talking about a 2 or 3 degree average temperature rise, but that's averages. This heat extent that we had Monday, that, in my opinion, will become far more common and may even be worse. How's the next generations going to put up with this bad enough now? It's not only the heat we're putting up with, it's massive rain events, it's massive dry events, and it goes from one extreme to the next so so quickly. The length of these happy days are not happening anymore, which to me is a big concern. Just at the moment we're having a good season, but uh, it doesn't happen too often. And how long have you been on the land for, David, and, and what have you seen change over that time? Well, I'm 68 now. I've been part of the farming scene all my life. Like, even as a little kid, I, I, I knew what was happening because I was so keen about being involved with mum and dad on the farm, and I really believe that things... The weather's changing dramatically to become more extreme, you know, the 2019 drought was just catastrophic and I never experienced that ever before in my life. Like, there's always been droughts and floods, but um, not to those extremes. Are you planning on handing over your, your farm to your children? And, and if so, how do you feel about their future? The son is working with, with the partnership and he's very much involved. He's sort of the manager of, of the show now. I'm just a gopher, which I'm quite happy to be. They've got a little boy now, and it really concerns me when my grandson gets to my age, what is the scene going to look like? These extremes, they're going to stay the same or they're going to get worse? I feel that things are going to get worse if humanity on this planet doesn't wake up themselves, and especially the politicians. Queensland dairy farmer David Von Hoff speaking to Brandon Long. You're listening to Countrywide. I'm your host, Kit Mocken. From the paddock to the plate, Countrywide on ABC Radio. Sticking with the weather, and there's been some big rains across northern Australia this week. And for many, a bit of a lucky escape with Cyclone Kiralee in Queensland, although we do expect to get a bit more of an update on crop damage in the coming days. But Birindudu Station in the NT now resembles an inland sea. The remote property is completely cut off with the homestead now surrounded by floodwaters as far as the eye can see. Station manager Jordan Perry says that they have had around 350 millimetres of rain and his young family could be waiting weeks for the water to recede. Yeah, we've, we've obviously seen the Sturt Creek rise dramatically 
Yeah, I mean, in quite a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, it's been full on moving, moving gear to higher ground and dogs and horses and mares and foals and yeah, lifting generators up so they don't go under and putting generators on trailers to to sort of power fridges and freezers and run a fan here and there. So yeah, it's been it's been quite busy. Yeah, and just judging by the photos. Uh, that have been shared by your wife, Grace. I mean, you're on an island. That's what it looks like. It looks like you've got water views, 360 degrees. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, we sort of we went for a fly yesterday. I think we worked out we've got uh, 15 k's of water laying back to the east and then we've got, yeah, 10 k's of water laying back to the west of the homestead. Um, we've, we've got about 20, 25 k's of water laying to the north of the homestead and... Um, yeah, it's sort of it's about fifty k's of sort of Sturt Creek that runs back to the to the southwest is all full all the way through into Gordon Downs. So yeah, just on a little little island at home that they picked the right spot. That's for sure. Yeah, because this is very flat country, so you're on the highest bump in a very flat. Yeah, it's mm. extremely flat. It, uh, the water sort of generally travels between sort of two and four kilometres an hour, so it's very slow moving. Yeah, apart from where the cattle yards, the house cattle yards are situated, yeah, this, this homestead would sort of be the, the highest central point, that's for sure. Have you ever seen it like this, Jordan? Uh, not not in our time. Um, there's an old photo in the station kitchen from 2001, and, yeah, it's sort of on par. There might have been a little might have been a little bit higher in 2001, so apart from, apart from photos, no, I haven't experienced it like this. Do you have a boat? No, we, we unfortunately we don't have a boat. Um, yeah, it'd be nice if we did have one. Yeah, we can't we can't get out. Uh, the Sturt Creek actually flows across the driveway, so it's um, yeah sort of inaccessible to get out. Um, so yeah, we're sort of just just hauling tight at home for now. So, and where do the cattle go when all this takes place? It sort of forces you to move all the cattle out off the flood plant or, or you know off your flood out country. Gotcha. Pre-wet season, so we, um, you know, we sort of plan for these things. You know, come mid-November, we, yeah, move all of our grow cattle out off this flood-out country on a, you know, on a wet season. You know, a heavier red country where they can all sort of, yeah, get out, get out of the flood. Are you already dreaming about the green grass that will emerge when the water goes down and the sun comes out? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I don't know if I'm dreaming about standing up a few fences and. <laughs> And all of the all of the cleaning up that's going to come with it, but no, I think, yeah, obviously there's um there's more money in mud than there is in dust, so no, it'll it'll be it'll be it'll be very pleasing, you know, when we can start getting out and about and see some some plenty of green feed and some some good healthy fat cattle, it'll be good, yeah. Of droughts and flooding rains, indeed, that was Jordan Perry, manager of Birindudu Station near the WANT border speaking to Matt Brown. And you can see a photo of the homestead surrounded by water online. If you search on ABC Rural, just search the Birindudu cattle station. Pressure is mounting on the federal government to intervene in the port dispute at DP World sites. DP World has put the cost at $84 million a week and says that there is a backlog of containers holding up consumer goods coming into Australia and eggs, wool and grain exports going out. David Clawton filed this update on the dispute. 
The Maritime Workers' Union wants a pay rise, but negotiations with the Dubai-based ports operator have so far failed. The Industrial Relations Minister, Tony Burke, has been very critical of Dubai ports, which handles 40% of Australia's container traffic. The company is owned by the Dubai government and under the direct control of Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, Dubai's ruler. The company's container fees increased more than 50% on the 1st of January. And the former ACCC Commissioner, Graeme Samuel, has accused them of charging rampant high prices. Tony Burke says the company is just shifting profits overseas at the expense of workers and Australian consumers, and he's refused to intervene in the dispute. They can send as much money overseas as they want, and that's not about Australian consumers. They can charge Australian small businesses as much as they want, and that's not about Australian consumers. But if they have to pay their workers the same as what Patrick pay their workers, that's all about Australian consumers. I think people are sick to death of being told that their wages are always the problem. Because of the commitment from DP World to the media strategy, thinking that somehow I would intervene and treat them differently to every other business in Australia, they may not have been participating as enthusiastically in the negotiations as they may otherwise. They have no doubt now. Go to the table, sort this out. Every other business in Australia does. We expect them to do the same. The Australian Meat Industry Council CEO Patrick Hutchinson is still calling on the government to intervene. He told Michael Condon that meat due for export is passing its use-by date stuck on the docks. There's an increasing amount of meat that is being stuck on these wharves and unfortunately because we're one of the world leaders in the provision of chilled product that it runs out of um, the opportunity for shelf life and it has to come back on the domestic market. Um, we're getting excess inventory now because we can't load out product. We're getting increases in dis- disruptions and, and logistics costs, which are increasing on us, like demurrage. And we're also having customers who are starting to ask questions about the reliability of arguably the world's most reliable red meat supplier being Australia. And if we're not able to meet those requirements on that chilled product, which is probably around you know, depending on our market, but it's around one third of everything that we export around the world, then it's going to be taken up by somebody else. Are we talking sort of million dollar losses? Um, Inevitably, it will be, I think. Obviously, product is also insured, but if these are also issues where if you start to have uh, loss of product, insurance policies and insurance claims go up. So that's why, you know, we've called for a number of things from the government uh, in around their intervention, we've seen we've seen um, Minister Burke um, come out uh, yesterday around this issue, saying that they won't intervene. But I have to say, I'm somewhat incredulous that it's become a personal attack on the individual DP world, which again just shows that this has become a uh, a union versus company-based issue, and farming in the farming industry, the agricultural and food industry, has been forgotten. But he's saying, Tony Burke is saying that, uh, you know, the container increases uh, of 52%, you know, they've been put up by DP World, even Graham Samuels criticised their increases there. And he's saying, you know, who could blame the workers for asking for a, um, an increase in pay? Well, I mean, that's, that is a, uh, that's conflating uh, about four or five different issues into one in order to ensure that you back your union buddies. So I don't think that that's necessarily a, a, a fair and discussive argument. Um, what we've been saying is is that we need to see consistency about removing containers from terminals. 
We don't want month-long delays at ports, especially for people who, as we understand, are earning between $175,000 to $200,000 a year. Patrick Hutchinson from AMIC. Simon Stahl, the CEO of the Casino Food Co-op, Australia's largest meat cooperative, told Kim Honan the two parties need to reach agreement soon, especially as the conflict in the Middle East is also impacting on exports to Europe. We're an export nation, so we need the ports to be open. So I don't see any other solution if uh, the two parties can't come to a, an agreement. We've got to think about all the livestock around the country. We've had uh, you know, plenty of rain where we've got couple of good seasons together we're going to have plenty of cattle over the coming months um so we really you know this is uh, the whole supply chain so it's really urgent that they actually come to an agreement and what about the ongoing crisis in the red sea is that having any impact on your beef exports uh, well there have been containers now diverted around uh, down around africa uh, and some of our hide sales have had to be diverted uh, down around africa and that's adding cost to each of the vessels can you say how much cost Oh, yeah, it's in the thousands of dollars. Um, The trip is not cheap at all. So, um, you know, we're going to have to work that out with our customers. And um, it just seems at the moment, Kim, there's one thing after another. Um, There's not much we can do about the Red Sea development, but hopefully um, people in country can do something about the wars and make sure we don't have any more problems. DP World says the dispute is costing the Australian economy $84 million a week. The company's head of corporate affairs, Blake Tierney, answered questions from Senator Macalia Cash at the Senate Education and Employment Legislation Committee hearing. Just in terms of the number of containers currently backlogged at your terminals, um, can you quantify that? We currently have 54,330 containers in backlog. From an imports point of view, we have motor, motor vehicles, clothes, appliances, furniture and bedding and also polymers. From an exports point of view, we have meat, dairy, eggs, wool, grains and aluminium that are currently stuck at each of our terminals across the country. DP World and the Maritime Union are in a media blackout today while negotiations continue. David Clawton filed that report with Michael Condon, Angus Verley and Kim Honan. You're listening to Countrywide, across Australia and around the world on ABC Radio. A shearing school in WA's southwest is trying to entice more people into the industry to bolster the domestic workforce and overcome a chronic sheep shearer shortage. And as Andrew Chounding discovered, the two big drawcards of decent money and a country lifestyle are attracting people from all walks of life. So I'm a fully qualified chef and then I moved down because I was unfortunate to be on the streets for about three years. And then I moved down to Narangarup. I was doing mulesing in the off-season in winter, which is where you're cutting the tails off a lamb so they don't get dags and you're vaxxing them and all that. I moved down to Narangarup to get off the streets because my missus was pregnant. And then I ended up going onto a mulesing cradle in Narangarup and then that's how I got into shearing because um, my contractor for mulesing is a, he's a really good shearer and he had his own shearing run and stuff and his sister-in-law, his missus's mum is a contractor. So then he got me a job with him and then ever since then I've thoroughly enjoyed working with livestock and animal and sheep. It was, it's just something new and it's great, it's enjoyable. 
Jack Rice is one of a dozen young people attending this week-long shearing school here at Boyup Brook, almost 300 kilometres south of Perth. It's funded by the main national body, AWI, which is Australian Wool Innovation. Like when I'm working hard, I rather feel like I earn my money, and doing what I'm doing is, it makes me feel like I've earned my money at the end of the day, and it's, it's good, it feels good at the end of the day when you finish. At the moment, Jack can only shear about 30 to 40 sheep a day, but he knows with practice and coaching, that number will gradually increase. Within the next couple months, I want to try to get my 100, my first 100, um, on a whole day. So I try to get 25 a run and break my 100, and then after that I want to try to break my 200 and get, get my 200 sheep done. But other than that, it's, that takes time as well, so it's just a matter of learning the skills and getting it all up to date really so I can improve more. Shearing contractor Darren Spencer is the president of WA's Shearing Industry Association. He says even though more farmers have struggled to find shearers in recent years, he's noticing more and more young people are keen to find work away from the cities and even towns. I've got a young fella here who is a bricklayer in Perth. You know, he could probably earn near the same money as a bricklayer, but he's decided that, you know, Another arm of his family have got farms and stuff and he used to like visit the shearing sheds and being a part of it. And so, you know, he's come out shearing now, he's learnt in the last couple of years. And we see a lot of that now where people are really keen. The COVID lockdown years were tough for the Australian wool industry. There just weren't enough Aussies willing to pick up the shears when the Kiwis and Europeans were locked out of the country. We really struggled for shearers through through COVID time. We hadn't taught that many new people for the industry leading up to COVID. And then when COVID hit, we were found a bit wanting that with the New Zealanders not coming over and only had a certain amount of time to get home, they all just went home in a rush and we didn't have any Europeans or um, UK shearers coming in here during that period. And so... Everyone really struggled for shearers. So then uh, through AWI, the industry went into uh, high production mode and started doing a lot more training of new entrants and saw a lot of new entrants be able to more or less go off to shearing school and, and just, well, I know in my own situation, come straight in and be able to sort of get put on the stand when they're only doing like 60 or 70 a day and where in the past that wouldn't happen like they had to wait until they could be shearing sort of 100 120 a day to be able to get a stand. Ian Bock is 16 and already from the country he lives at Jerramunga between Albany and Ravensthorpe but he's got plans to shear his way around the country before starting some sort of apprenticeship. I grew up on farm so I've always been helping dad out in the shed so I was used to it and before I start my apprenticeship in tree climbing arboristry, which I want to do, I might go around Australia, travel around there doing shearing. So I thought that could be another kind of pathway I could take. Because it's always work doing shearing, so if you I like have that skill base to fall back onto, I'll be set. Yeah. So you like the idea of the freedom that comes with the job? Yeah, there's lots of freedom. It's hard work, which I enjoy. I like doing a bit of hard work. You feel good afterwards. Just walk it back, Alan. AWI trainer Paul Hick thinks WA could probably do with at least another 50 shearers who know what they're doing. So he thinks young people like Ian and Jack will be in high demand. And for them, the money can be good. Uh, the beauty of the shearing industry is you can travel around, you can shear 
what, there's about 70 countries in the world you can shear in as far as shearing goes and wool, and wool rolling or wool handling. Yeah, for young people, it's, it's quite a good dollar. It doesn't take you long to be up shearing 100-plus sheep and you're on about anywhere between $4 and $4.50 a head. And for rows abouting, you know, they're sort of sitting around the 40 to $45 an hour. But the school's not just for those chasing a big pay packet. Late Grace farmer Mia Gooch is learning to shear to help her brother, who recently started as a shearing contractor. I've always wanted to learn how to shear. Um, it's definitely not going to be a full career um, because I've got family-run farm as well. So I will be on the farm pretty much permanently eventually taking it over um, but that yeah this is just a sort of like money side of it and just knowledge this is just sort of like a step up I suppose um, and it's good to have on our farm because we um, have a lot of sheep so hopefully I'll be able to shear them as well eventually. Lake Grace farmer Mia Gooch ending that report from Andrew Chounding. And that's all we have time for today on Countrywide. I'm your host, Kit Mocken. It's been great to have your company. Catch you next time. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.